Um, it's obviously a privilege to get to speak to you. It's nice for me to come and have a, uh, 24 hours with my brother and uh, his wife, Esme. Some of you are in Hope Church would know Tim. And uh, I've, I've been excited to see what he and Esme have been involved with as they've moved here into Suffolk and get, getting involved with the church here and the, the wider churches that Hope Church relates to. It's inspiring, but I've not had the chance to come and see them here myself, so it's a first for me, and uh, it's nice to be with them and their family. It's always slightly amusing to be with their kids because they sometimes think that I am their dad, <laughs> so <laughs> just occasionally. As they've got older, they've worked it out that we're different, um, but the younger one today, even this morning, ran over to me as I came back from going for a run and, and wanted to show me something. and. And it was that, that kind of weird split second of, of in-between kind of excitement about showing something to his dad, and then this horror that kind of seemed to grip him, like, what parallel universe am I in? <laughs> this, this weird person who's my dad, but not my dad. What's going on? So I, so, uh, I, I laughed at him. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was nice. So, so really good to, uh, to, to be here. What I'm going to be doing in the two sessions I have with you is speaking from the books of Samuel. Um, this is really a story. The, book, the books of Samuel are a story, especially of the life of King David. So if you're new to your Bible, Samuel's about a third of the way through your Bible. It's split up into two in our Bibles, uh, sort of one Samuel and two Samuel. And I'm going to be talking from, from uh, this session, from first. Samuel in chapter 23, just a few verses, and then in the last session, God willing, we'll spend some time in a, in a whole chapter of 2 Samuel. So taking two snapshots from his life, and um, I hope that through this we will learn some very constructive lessons for our lives that we can apply right now in 2018 uh, here in this part of the world. It's, it's the story of a soldier. It's, it strikes me, something that I learned from, from, from hearing my dad say this many times. It's worth bearing in mind that the heroes of the Bible tend to be soldiers. That's kind of a clue. The heroes of the Bible tend to be soldiers. They're not all soldiers. They're not, by any means, all soldiers. But they tend to be. They tend to be people who have to be forceful sometimes. People who are trained for war. People who've understood that there are battles in life. Uh, that's the atmosphere of the Bible. And uh, some of us, including me, would perhaps prefer it if the atmosphere of the Bible was you know, that all of God's heroes were philosophers or poets or, or, or indie rockers <laughs> you know, or artists. That would be my kind of religion. My kind of Bible would be the one where all the heroes were kind of arty types who liked sipping coffee and sitting around discussing things. That would be my favorite kind of religion. I would sign up instantly. But I, I'm afraid that isn't the true one. The true one is where the, the heroes are people who went through war and had to and learned their lessons at war, learned their lessons in the hardship and in the martial atmosphere of battle and we have to just face that because the reality is that to do life at all well means fighting and to get to know God and follow God and serve God means learning to fight 
So you know I don't mean, I trust you know I don't mean um, being violent and aggressive and picking fights. I don't mean picking fights. I mean winning the fight that has been picked with you. There's someone already around who wants you dead. I'm not exaggerating. He wants you dead. In the worst sense, not just physically, spiritually dead. So you don't get to choose whether you go to war. And so we have to learn to train ourselves. How do we get trained for war? How, how do I become effective in war? And David is, a, is instructive for so many reasons, but certainly includes that one. Um, so that's one of the reasons he's so valuable. And it strikes me, gathering a bunch of men on a weekend like this is kind of poignant. Uh, knowing I, I'm a bit ashamed not to be wearing a poppy. I didn't get myself organized today. But, but on a weekend where we, the nation remembers uh, waves of men going off to war, and there's so many thoughts that come rushing to our mind, aren't there? Uh, there are so many questions and unsettled issues. And was it a good war to fight? Was it the right thing? And how, how tragic. And even the, the legacy of the 1418 war, as it's sometimes called, is sometimes directly blamed for the, the sort of steep decline in church going that took place in the last hundred years. Many say it really did have its start in the First World War. That was, that was the key thing. That was the catalyst of so much decline uh, spiritually in our nation. Because a generation of men were recruited to a, to a, a catastrophe. And I suppose a certain kind of cynicism has crept in uh, to the culture, a certain kind of regret, a certain kind of questioning, even a, a nervousness about masculine confidence that perhaps more slowly has crept in over the generations. But the right thing, surely, is to see these things redeemed, to see men rise up to the right war and to rise up with confidence and courage, the kind of courage that some of those boys effectively uh, showed they really were lions, many of them, um, thrown into a situation that they perhaps couldn't have chosen, wouldn't have chosen necessarily, not wisely at least, if they'd known what was going to happen. And it, it's, it's, a, it's a poignant thing, but friends, on a weekend like this, I just want to remember that my, my master, he, he is the one that we've been singing about, he, he reigns victorious. He, he, is a, he is a warrior king. And he calls me to, to a front line, but he calls me to a front line which he doesn't abandon me in. He doesn't send me to fight his battle. He's gone before me. He's won the greatest. He, he's already spoiled the enemy. And so all the battles that we fight are ones that he's effectively won already. We, we get the privilege of going in after he's already completed the work, if you like. So, so all of our, our warfare mentality and conversation and preaching today, let it be in the context of this one who is the triumphant victor over everything. And we, we kind of take up our position behind him. But let me, let me put to you a little bit of... That's, that's, a, that's a big backdrop for the, for the day. Let me give you a little bit of uh, background to this David character uh, first, and then we'll, we'll read from 1 Samuel 23. Uh, David is an outlaw. Uh, some of you have seen in the last couple of days that Netflix have just released this uh, film about Robert the Bruce. Uh, 
the, uh, the Scottish king who, who lived much of his life as an outlaw. And that's often the story in history, that, that outlaws become kings. The great kings often spend much of their life in the wilderness because what they fight for and what they rule for is not accepted at first. And they spend time in the wilderness before they are put in the position of power, either literally like David or figuratively like, like Churchill in the 1930s when he was kind of in the political wilderness before his country called him to lead. And, and uh, David in the wilderness has um, all kinds of difficulties, including the fact that the existing king is hunting him down, literally hunting for him, wanting him dead. And so he's in terrible danger and all the attendant emotional problems with it. Despondency, discouragement and despair would have been the norm for David for much of his life. And he he even went as far at certain points in 1 Samuel as to make some rash decisions out of just despair. Where like I suppose all of us in some parts of our lives, the pressure just seemed too much. And he made decisions that probably he shouldn't have. Generally, he didn't. Generally, he shone in the way he was faithful and steady. But what I want to read to you here is an example of how he was kept from making the the ultimately terrible decision of giving up. Just giving up completely. And the reason he was kept from it was because of the intervention of a brother. The intervention of a friend. And it so happens that the friend was the son of the existing king, Saul, who was hunting David down to kill him. So it's a a real irony. And it shows the kind of complexity of the story and the complexity of all of life, really. It's like this so often. The party lines that we draw up get walked over by the, the surprising people who don't fit in with what their father expects them to say or do so often. It's sort of it's the, the way things pan out. And Jonathan, rather than being loyal to his father and thereby, I guess, at least probably being expected to be lined up for the throne, Jonathan would have been the kind of Prince of Wales, I suppose. Instead, he has really thrown in his allegiance with the outlaw with David, of all people, the one Saul wants to kill. And, uh, and here we see what a difference that made in David's life. So let me read to you from just verses 15 to 18, very, very brief. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh. Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horesh, and Jonathan went home. Just briefly pray together, shall we? Father, we... Thank you for your kindness to us, shown in so many ways. Thank you for today and this opportunity to gather to you. We thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus, who's the rock on whom we stand, the one we're building our lives upon, the one you've brought us to, who is our righteousness and who is our our hope and who is our battle cry. We thank you for the Holy Spirit given to lead us into truth, 
And we pray that you would send the Spirit now so that these wouldn't be uh, mere bits of information that we deal in today, but, Lord, these would be powerful impartations for our life. That you would shape, change, rescue some today. Lord, help us back from the cliff edge in some cases. Lord, would you bring a charge to us, help us to know what we're to do and how we're to do it. I pray for a very fruitful time. In Jesus' name, speak to us. Help me to speak freely and, uh, Lord, with clarity and with, with real purpose. And help us each to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, uh, Jonathan in this story is uh, the, the means of encouragement for David. He is, he is a, a kind of encourager, uh, world-class in this story. And so what I want to talk to you about is encouragement. How we encourage each other, why we need to. And this, this whole theme of in, being encouraging to one another. That's, that's the key theme in this, this first message. And we, we're learning from one of the best, one of the great encouragers of history. You could say he saved David's life because he, he, he was able to rescue him from, from the darkness at a time when it probably would have been overwhelming. You read some of the Psalms where, where David speaks out of his darkness in, in, in some Psalms and you see just how dark it got. You see just how depressed God, how close he was to just quitting. And so you realize how clinical it was that this man came at this point with decisive influence on him. And for some of you, this is a very real thing already. As soon as I said the word depression, some of you, your ears, at least inwardly, just kind of pricked up because you know that's what it's been like in, in the season you've been in, either recently or even now. These, this is... This is not sort of new, uh, neither is it old. We, we're joined with these ancient people. They suffer similar things to us. They have it with swords and sandals. You know, we have it with phones and, 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 uh, and laptops. But, but nevertheless, the human condition is pretty much the same. The needs we have, the struggles we have, leave us in need of particular kinds of help. And in this case, particular kinds of brothers particular kinds of strengthening of one another. And, and so I want to look at how he did this. This is, this, is, this is decisive. A powerful word of encouragement can set a different course for someone's life. You know that. That the power of words. It's, it's easy to, because words seem cheap, Lose our imagination with words. You, you, can, you can yield to just a flat level of expectation. I don't expect my words to be very powerful, so I, I don't make the phone call. I don't send the text. I don't reach out because, well, words are cheap. The words here were not cheap. They were life-changing. And haven't they been for you sometimes? Just once or twice at least? I think of a friend of mine who helps me lead the church I lead, and much else, <laughs> a dear friend who, who, who's a lead, one of the elders at Emmanuel. There was a time, I guess maybe 20 years ago, where he was, he was one of those guys on a Sunday meeting, leaving early, going through a, a dark season, 
feeling like a misfit and not sure whether church was really for him. And at the point where he's outside the door just walking away, making plans for the rest of his day, none of them involving the people of God. And one other guy, who some of you would know, just called out to him and just drew, drew level with him and just said, I just want you to know, I see you as an extraordinary guy, someone that God could really use in this church. And I think God's got very important plans for you. I respect you. I think, I think God could really use you to make a difference in this church. Now, the f- interesting thing for me is that the guy that said that isn't typically known for being overly gushy. It's not his style, frankly. He's never said anything like that to me. <laughs> but, but honestly, I mean, that's exactly what happened. I mean, this, this guy now is, is, is leading the church in reality, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Uh, it wouldn't be if it hadn't been for just a decisive moment. We just thought, I, I need to encourage this guy. I just need to reach out. You could say it was prophetic. Maybe it was. But whether it was prophetic or not, all he was doing was being encouraging. That's all he thought he was doing. I just think I better encourage this guy. And it was mighty in his life and mighty in the lives of hundreds of other people since then. And that's just one example. I bet we could all think of a few. The decisive impact of the words of encouragement, the moment of encouragement, can be phenomenal. Now, we, we, we are told... Time and again in Scripture, either by clear instruction or by this kind of example, to do the same. To be encouragers, to encourage one another. To, to, in different ways, exhort, admonish, comfort. And we'll talk about these in just a moment, these different examples, these different categories. But the flat thing is that the Bible tells us to encourage each other. It doesn't tell us to discourage each other. It doesn't. But frankly, the way some Christians behave, you'd think it did. You'd think that also it would say, humble each other. Because we're good at that. I think this brother needs humbling. I think I better humble him. But that's not your problem. See, I think God says, I'll handle that. Leave that to me. I can humble people. Most guys... Whether they need humbling or not, they definitely need encouraging. And, and you're not to feel, whoever you are. I mean, some people, I think they've almost, it's like they've got found each other, like the discouragement team in the local church. <laughs> kind of have secret meetings, or maybe not secret, I don't know. They've got some Facebook friends, I don't know, whatever it is, you've found your way to meet with each other and connect. Who can we discourage this week? <laughs> maybe they don't call it discouragement, maybe call it discernment. <laughs> A discernment team. So we, we can be really, really smart in how, how good we are taking people down, taking people down. And, and it's just it, the striking thing is the Bible just doesn't talk like that. It doesn't call us to it. Yeah. Whatever it says about humbling and discerning, it's not ultimately our responsibility. But we are responsible to encourage. It's just otherwise we have to chop loads of verses out of the Bible. It's, it's just a constant uh, imperative and you might say, well, I'm not a gushy type. I'm not one of those that, that's given to constantly affirming. And, and I get that, actually. I, I don't think you have to be to obey that verse, those verses. I don't think you have to change your personality particularly. So some people are, are, are just naturally given to positivity. 
Some of you may have done the various kinds of personality type indicators and different things you may have done in your job, in your professional life, or in church even, just what kind of gifts and strengths have you got. And some of you would know, yeah, that's, I'm, I'm the kind that will be positive. I will speak positive words by accident. I just can't help it. I just, that's the way I'm wired. Some of you are more what might be called deliberative. That's where one of the Gallup things talks like this, where you, you don't actually give out encouragement very freely because you, you want it to be earned. You want it to, be, you want it to mean something when you say it. And I get that. I think there are different ways, even in the body of Christ, that we, we are strong. But it, it, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't encourage. It, it means that, yeah, encourage strongly in the way that you do. If you're gushy, gush. <laughs> if you're not gushy, encourage anyway. Okay, think, think about it. Be deliberative. You know, make people, make, make it seem like, you know, make it weigh a lot. There are certain people who, when they encourage me, it means a great deal because they're not gushy. And that's valuable in the church. But that doesn't mean that the gushy people are wrong to be positive and warm a lot of the time. Let's not let it boil down to personality types. Yeah, I'm not a very encouraging person, so I won't bother. Wrong. No, obey the Bible. Encourage. encourage be deliberative and, and be whatever. But respond to the command of Scripture. Follow Jonathan's example. I don't know how gushy Jonathan was. Don't know. Might not have been at all. But man, did he make a difference here. Let me look at a few different ways that this works. And some of them are seen in Jonathan's example here. Some of them aren't. First of them, I'll, just, I'll, list, I'll list four. The first of them is to console. Very simply, consoling. And when I say console, well, I guess what I mean is sympathizing as much as anything else. Sometimes it's, it's as simple as that. That what a guy needs in the church is someone else to simply let them know that they get how you feel. They, they kind of understand. Or at least they're going to try to. They're going to try and get in your skin. They're going to... If they, in Jonathan's case, the way he consoled was he went to David. He just went and found him. Now, in reality, that was no small thing. <laughs> he had to go behind enemy lines to do it. Consoling people are those who, who actually... It's not actually their words that are necessarily the point. So everything I've said so far is about words... The words with someone, if you're consoling someone, the words might more be the icing on the cake. The cake is actually just you being there. Just sitting with them. Sometimes just literally standing next to them and letting them cry. That that's, seems weak, maybe. No, 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 no. That's, that's one that's consoling. It's, a, it's, it's the way that Job's friends got it right for the first part of Job. If you've read Job, most of the time his friends got it wrong, embarrassingly wrong, because <laughs> they kept trying to tell him off and set him straight and tell him why he was a bad man. And it wasn't what Job needed to hear. And in the end, they got, God just effectively rebuked them by ignoring them. But at the first start of the story, they just sat and wept with him for days. After Job went through his tragedy, they just sat and cried with him. That's very Bible, but it's not, it's not very modern English. We're not, we don't, it's not our culture. We're not very comfortable necessarily with that. We need to realize it is biblical. That there's something healthy about people who know how to just work out the emotion. Just let them be emotional. Mourn, grieve, basically, with them. And there's, there's, there's a lot to be said for not necessarily saying that much sometimes. 
some guys that you're thinking of right now, the way you're going to best help them, it might simply be by just sitting down and letting them talk and, let, and just listening. And even hearing them say things that you think are probably a bit dumb, a bit foolish, they're probably saying a bit flippantly, and they, they're, they're getting on. And you don't have to keep correcting them. You, you might need to at some stage, but you, you just you don't have to feel like my job here is to set them straight. No, no, just, just let them grieve. There's consolation um, in, in Jonathan's action just by going, just by going to David. There's also affirmation, affirmation. And, and this, is, this is the way that Jonathan reminds David <laughs> that he's for him. And he, he speaks words that tell him who he is. He speaks words that, that lift him, lift his head, help him to see. Uh, and actually... It's, a, it's extraordinary the kind of words he uses. Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel. I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. It's a powerful affirmation. It's powerful. I love even the fact he says at the end, Saul knows it, really. Even, even your worst enemy, the reason he, he, gets, he knows all about. He knows that actually he's lost. What a comfort. And he, he, he brings affirmation to him uh, through, through a reminder, 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 reminder of who he is. A reminder of, I guess more importantly, what God has called him to be. What God has called him to be. What God has said over David is what David needs to hear again and again and again. Why? Because naturally, frankly, guys, don't we constantly forget it? That's our biggest problem. Really? As, as if you love Jesus, the things that are true about you, if you were living in the good of them, well, frankly, you would never sin again. If you were constantly reminding, constantly aware of what's true about you, what Jesus has done for you, you would never feel the power of temptation. It just wouldn't get near you because the power of the gospel is so much greater. The problem is the power of the gospel it isn't ringing in our ears. It does get sapped from it. does leak. Our consciousness of what Jesus has done for us is, is constantly being sucked away. Even after we've sung songs and heard sermons and maybe preached sermons, only minutes later, I can be acting and behaving, thinking in ways that, that show I'm, I've stopped believing what I was preaching just minutes ago. And, and the reality is that I, I need constantly, very much constantly, 24-7, to be living in the reminders of what Jesus has done for me, what God says about me. And the times in your life where you get most sort of sucked dry of that confidence of what God says about you are the times when you're in most danger. You're terribly at risk. And so, brothers, what we must do is be good at reminding each other, brother, this is what God says about you. This is what God says about you. This is what Jesus has done for you. To keep being the channel that God uses of, of, of fresh reminding. In, in Jesus' life, we even see it, don't we? We see the, the way that the Father affirmed him publicly. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Just before he goes into his wilderness, 
just before he goes into his desert. He's, he's going into it with these words ringing in his ears. The father's trumpet voice. My beloved son. <laughs> it's, just, it's just possessing him. And we're just the same. We need so badly to be living in the good of affirmation. And you can do that in all kinds of ways. You can do that in very simple ways. You really can. I do remember very simple ways where just sometimes older guys in the church, even when I was a little kid, I remember one elder in the church who's gone to be with Jesus now, but when, when I was a kid, I just remember a particular case where he would, he would just walk over to me. I would have been about eight or nine, I suppose, and say kind words about Jesus loves you. And he's going to bless you and he's going to use you. He's got a good plan for your life. And then just, for him, it was the work of about three seconds. But I remember it now in my 40s. Isn't that fascinating? The power of it. The third example is I've talked about consoling, I've talked about affirming. What about exhorting? Exhorting. I guess I'm, I'm kind of moving through phases with these, uh, they're, they're all a bit overlapping. Exhorting, I suppose, calling people to what you see in them. So I I see God's hand on you. I see God's plan for you. I see that Jesus loves you. I see that God is for you. Now I want to call you to walk in the good of that. I see this in you. I, I think you should see this in you. And I expect now, come on, I want you to move forward. Jonathan starts with that, really. Do not fear. Do not fear. So he's from the start. He's exhorting. He's about to say why. He's going to give the, there, he's going to give the because. So it's that way around, logically. But it's there. It's, look, it's not appropriate for you to fear, David. Let me tell you why. And, and we, we must affirm, but we must sometimes as well draw it out of people. Now, come on. Let's get your will involved. Let's, let's, let's show some muscle here. I want, I want you to step into what's true about you. You know it's true, don't you? So don't be afraid. Don't. Reject the fear. We're not having that. It's called admonishment. Oh, sorry, it's called exhortation. I'll come to admonishment last. It's called exhortation. And it's, it's fun. I mean, the, the, those who I spoke, the Bible does talk about the gift of encouragement. And some people seem to uniquely just dwell in this gift. They just flourish in it. And it's fantastic to watch it at work. There's a man in the Bible called Joseph in the book of Acts who, who uh, was so replete with this gift, they changed his name. They called him Son of Encouragement, Barnabas. It wasn't his birth name. They changed it, Son of Encouragement. I guess he's one of those people. Just everywhere he went, people were just filled with encouragement. And it, it's funny, because <laughs> I've, I've worked with one or two people like this, and they're a joy and slightly annoying. <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, one of the reasons, there are several reasons they're slightly annoying, but you, you love them. Um, and, and, and one of the reasons they're slightly annoying is because they will encourage people that you know they should not encourage. <laughs> and they're, and they're, but they just do. And they'll, they'll kind of, I've, I just think of people, I mean, Barnabas was like this. So he's the, he's the guy that shows up in the church in Antioch. Where they, it's a bit crazy. Antioch. You know, there's a lot of believers there who are not circumcised, not Jewish. Are you sure that's a good church? That's a dodgy church. That's a bit of an awkward church. And it's only as, you know, as they kind of get their act together as apostles, they start to clarify. No, it's fine. It's fine. They don't have to be circumcised. And 
all the guys that did get circumcised think, oh, why didn't you say? <laughs> Couldn't you have this meeting a few years ago? So, so Barnabas gets there before it's all happened. And he's the first guy, the first apostle to say, this church rocks. This church is legit. This is a good church. And he's the first guy to bring Saul to Antioch. Saul. Now, we know that he's Paul, who wrote half the New Testament, Saint Paul. <laughs> we get it. You know, but we've got the benefit of hindsight. Before Barney did his thing, all they knew about Saul was that he killed their friends. And this is not fun. And so here's Barney saying, I've got, I've got this wonderful guy. <laughs> And I love him. He's a really, oh, he's, oh, God's all over him. He's just so anointed. When, when he preached, the other, oh, I just was so blessed. What's his name, Barnabas? Saul. Saul who? Saul of Tarsus. What? <laughs> yeah, he's coming. I'm going to bring him. And he's, can he brings him. He's like, he killed my mum. <laughs> yeah, but he didn't mean it. <laughs> He's a good guy. He's a lovely guy. Come on. He's got a good heart. We make mistakes. Come on. So Barnabas is responsible for all these... these he's like an early guy. He's like one of those you know, early adapters, whatever you call them. And then, and then later, when it comes to Barnabas and Paul, as he's now called, going on journeys together, they, they fall out because... Paul hasn't got the same gift as Barnabas. He's got a friend with him called Mark, John Mark, who lets them down, who, who seems to sort of desert. And so Paul says, we're not traveling with that one. He's not, he's not fit for the job. He's not proven himself. And Barnabas says, oh, come on. I believed in you. And imagine the conversation. And Paul's saying, I don't care if you believed in me. So, so they fell out. And then later, interestingly, Paul refers to John Mark in Colossians 4 positively, as if Barnabas was right. Isn't that interesting? It's, so, it's fascinating. This gift is fascinating. And, and some of you got this particularly. You, you will see things in people before others do. And you have to, be, you have to do it in team as best as you can. You need to, to submit yourself and not, not, throw, you know, not be crazy about it. But some of you, someone will become a Christian in your church, maybe here in Ipswich or whatever, one of the churches... And, and, and they'll be raw, and they'll be new, and it will be, there'll be a lot of reasons why they shouldn't be doing X, Y, and Z. But one or two of you might think, no, I really do see that God's got his hand on this guy, and I want to help him. I want to bring him through. I want to help him to really flourish. And, and there'll, just be, there'll be moments where your gift of encouragement will slightly rub up against others who actually also have very good gifts. They are discerning, and they do know that you're sometimes at least wrong in your timing if not wrong in essence. So, so it's something to work out. I'm saying all this to say the gift of encouragement needs to function in team so that you make wise calls. We, yeah, we want the gift of encouragement to shape the whole culture of the church. Otherwise, I wouldn't be preaching this sermon. But to really shape the culture, it needs to be bound with people who think, yeah, but hold on, hold on. We love this guy. We do love this guy. We want the best for him. But let's help him more by slowing down, working this through, asking good questions. That sort of thing. Teamwork in the whole process. Fourth thing. Fourth thing. Admonishment. Admonishment. This is the side of encouragement that almost sounds like it isn't encouragement. But it's, it's, 
it's part of it. It's part of it. It's, it's a necessary part sometimes where actually the word that someone needs to hear that's going to set them free is a little bit rough. It's not what they want to hear at the time. It does, it's not comfortable. It doesn't seem comfortable. Actually, to go by the true definition of the word comfort, it is comfortable. There's a, there's a, there's a little chunk of the Bayer Tapestry. Some of you know, you've heard this before. The Bayer Tapestry, which tells the story of the Battle of Hastings, but it's all in Latin. And it's got this picture of, the, the, of uh, this cleric with something that looks like a sword or a spear basically digging into his own soldiers, the Normans. And it says above, in, Bishop Oddo comforts the troops. <laughs> and it's, that doesn't look very comfortable. He's kind of, like, get out there, go and fight you lazy gits. Get out there, go on, go on, fight the Saxons, go on, kill them. Go on, get out there, you lazy things. Bishop comforts them. What does it mean? The word comfort means with strength. With strength, comfort. Put, putting strength in. Strengthening. And the way you strengthen somebody sometimes is actually to speak strongly. Just sometimes. There are times when that's necessary. You know that, right? You know that. You've seen that. You've seen good football teams. Good football teams, there'll be an awful lot of backslapping, encouragement for you, you know, support, good communication. There'll be honouring of one another. There'll also occasionally be those times <laughs> when the goalie yells at a defender. <laughs> And the defender doesn't react because he knows the goalie's right. He knows he's right. Yeah, I should have been there. I, wasn't on the, I was not on the back post like I said I would be. Sorry. And that's quite healthy. It's like, oh, they're quite a good team. So they're allowed to sometimes be strong, and it's not a bad thing. It's, I, I get that. That's, we're brothers. I'm not going to go and hide. I'm not going to be a snowflake about that. I'm not going to say, you, know, you hurt my inner child. No, no, no. That's... <laughs> That's fine. We're brothers. That's okay. That's all right. I know you're for me. Now, if the culture isn't encouraging, you're not allowed to do this. So some of you think, oh, I love this side of it. I get to yell at people. This is my favorite point of the sermon. <laughs> Enough of all the, the fluffy stuff. You know, I like this stuff. Well, you can't play then, all right? You're not allowed. You do the first three or you can't do the, last, the fourth one. But when you're good at the other stuff, then, friends, there's going to be times where you, you... And frankly, you probably won't want to. If you love guys, you won't enjoy telling them off. But you'll have to sometimes. You'll have to just say, listen, and speak strongly. And again, you know as well as I do that some of the most dramatic turning points in your life have been when guys have said it. <laughs> Drop the bomb. Oh, no. can't believe they said that. And 24 hours later, you know they're right. Maybe even you know they're right at the very point they say it. And, and people who do this, you know, don't you, that when people react badly, it doesn't mean you're wrong. And people say, oh, I've got the, I'm, I don't like this church anymore. It doesn't mean you're wrong. It might do, but it's not proof. And so you've got, to, you've got to be wise. You've got to think, actually, how do I discern? What's this guy doing? If he's gone for a walk, if he's gone off, if he doesn't, he's not back the next Sunday, whatever. Okay, well, we, we need to pray. We need to talk this through. I'll reach out to him. But I'm not going to climb down unless God tells me to. I've got to, I've got to hold this person. I've got to be clear. Uh, I've got to admonish. That's an instruction in Scripture. Admonish one another out of love. Genuine love. 
And it's powerful. I think back to a, a time for me, shortly after we got married, uh, where a guy in the church I was in was holding me accountable on internet stuff because I was clicking on stuff that I, I shouldn't have. And it was bad. I was, I was in trouble. And uh, I, I said to him, I need you to keep me accountable. On it. And we, we got into a, a good sort of season of him checking up on me. And I actually, to, to my shame, I had moments where, at least in my flesh, I thought, I've chosen the right guy here. Because he was really nice. <laughs> and I thought, you know, whenever I mess up, he'll just be nice to me. He'll just let me, he'll let me off. He'll say something sweet. So I, this is going to work out sweet. This is brilliant. And, uh, and then on one occasion, I, I, we had the phone call. He said, how are you, going, how are you getting on? And I, I looked at something that day or the day before or something. And I, I told him, and I was standing by for the kind of, okay, well, let's, better, let's work on it. You know, next time, let's hope it's not bad. You know. And, I mean, this isn't necessarily me saying this is what you should do every time, okay? <laughs> but to my surprise, on the phone, he tore me a new one. <laughs> he absolutely laid into me. And I was so surprised. I've never seen this side of you. And I tell you, my behavior changed. <laughs> From that point on, I was a lot freer. It changed. It actually, it's probably the turning point for me. And it was just like... And I said to him, months later, says, you know that that changed my life. And he was, he was so funny, because naturally, he's just a lovely... Well, he's, he's a lovely guy. Yeah, he wore pastel cardigans. He was a lovely guy. <laughs> and he, and he, he said to me... He said, he said, I said, oh, you know that changed my life. And he was like... Well, must have been God then. And we were both like, yeah, I suppose it was. <laughs> but I'm saying this to say, God, there's such a place for this. This is huge. For some of you, you're not going to make progress until it comes with some force. And, none, and your brothers won't either. So admonition is, is, is going to be an essential part of it. And it will be a little uncomfortable. It will break the mold. It will break the, the atmosphere a little. But that's not bad. So I, I remember... We, when the first Brighton Marathon happened, a friend of mine was watching uh, at a certain point, and there was a, um, there was a guy near the end, I guess he was about 18 miles, and they, you hit the wall. You know, I've never done a marathon, but they say, you know, you get to that point. Some people, that's when you quit because it's just too hard. And there was one guy, it's big crowds, big sunny day, lots of people enjoying the atmosphere. It's really lovely. And there's this one guy who, who can't go anymore. And it's not just that he decides to stop. He starts to sob, and it's really awkward. And he's like, I can't do it. It's just and he's kind of going through this terrible kind of crisis in front of everybody. He's like, Mate, just stop running. You don't have to cry. And, uh, and, and he's just really struggling. And then this weird this moment where this guy, this spectator, suddenly he, he sees, he, he points at him. Now, the guy's name is across his chest. He's, let's say he's called Mark. And he shouts out to him, Mark, you were born to run this marathon and you will finish it. And this guy, yeah. It's like kind of, you know, the rocky, and everyone in the whole crowd is like, hmm, slightly awkward, this weird loony from the side. And they all just go off to have their ice creams. While, while, but what, this guy has broken the kind of nice atmosphere, but rescued someone. 
totally shifted the whole situation for him. And that will happen. That will happen sometimes. Just give you an illustration to make the point finally. I love the way it says he strengthened his hand in God. That's what Jonathan did. Strengthened his hand. There's one commentator who says it's a little bit like Jonathan saw that David's hand was in Satan's hand. And he took it away and put it back in God's hand. I love that. See, the nature of discouragement is basically that. It's like you've just been walking along like a kid, holding hands with your mum or dad. Just like, and kids just dawdle along. They're not looking, not checking. And you've not realised for a while the hand's been the wrong one. See, my, my mum tells a story about when she was young. One of her sisters had this happen to her. It's a horrifying thought. In a, in a crowded supermarket or something, a stranger grabbed her hand. The, the thought of a stranger grabbing a child's hand, the hand, and the child trustingly walking along as if it's normal. And my mum said that her, her sister Jo, she, she saw this happening to her little sister, a stranger grabbing her hand, and she ran over and she bit the man's hand until it drew blood. <laughs> I thought, yes! Don't mess with my mum's sisters. But this, this is what Jonathan does, isn't it? Who, who's holding David's hand? That's my brother. How dare you? So he goes over at great risk to himself and grabs this hand and yanks it away from discouragement and depression and fear and guilt and shame. And he thrusts it back into the hand of the God who's called David. And Jonathan is... is being radical, being brutal about this. I guess, I guess in the, the uh, end of the story, Jonathan actually, I mean, think about this. The, the thing about Jonathan that's striking here is that Jonathan goes behind enemy lines. I mean, like, this is the thing. He, he's, he's actually quite, quite he's taking a great risk. And he's out of favor with his father already. It's, it's very risky. But this is why Jonathan is, Jesus is all over this story, isn't he? This is what Jesus has done. And here's the key thing for some of you, and listen to me because I want to just give time to pray and worship. I think the, uh, the key thing is that you, each one of you, will go through times where actually to encourage somebody else will require a certain selflessness. To be the source of encouragement will cost you. And be, the reason why is because there are times where actually you will not feel encouraged at all. You'll feel like no one's encouraged me for months, right? Ever felt like that in church? Ever felt like you've really served at something? You've really gone for it and worked hard, and no one's affirmed you. No one's thanked you. Your name hasn't gone up anywhere. In fact, sometimes other people get praised for something you did. And it's just, it's just sometimes too much for us. We just feel, oh. A great sermon about encouragement. hope it works. I'm waiting. <laughs> and that, that, can, that can be the, the, the trap we fall into. But I haven't told you to be encouraged by other people. I've told you to encourage other people. That's what the Bible says. So how are you going to do that? When you've got nothing left in the tank. I don't know how to encourage. I'm, just, I'm done with this. I don't feel encouraged. Why should I encourage anybody else? So what, what does this mean? 
If this was a, a, a sermon that was just behave yourselves and be more encouraging, that would be the end of it. I'd stop there. But the gospel's so much better than that, right? See, the times where you think, I haven't got any reason to, to feel encouraged, so why should I encourage other people? What, what you're doing is forgetting. You're, you're leaking, like we said earlier. The truth of what God has done for you has been sapped away. To come back to my heavenly Jonathan, who has crossed enemy lines, not just to risk his life, but to lose his life, literally to die, so that I, in the wilderness, far away from God's presence, can be brought in, be filled with hope, filled with purpose and destiny. You've got to be able to say at those times, the Lord is my portion. I, I, can, I can encourage others by God who strengthens me. I, can, I will find the grace to do it because actually my ultimate need was not to have the accolades of other people, was not to be praised, was not for people to think I'm great. My ultimate need was to have God the Father say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And you can genuinely know that that's true of you today. You can be absolutely sure he's for me. He's for me. He's for me. And because he is, I'm able to reach out. I'm able to, to just send encouragements, to bless others and so on. I'm going to just ask you for, a, for just be quiet for a minute and literally take your phone or a pencil or whatever and just write down some names. Yeah, of people that you need in the next 24 hours to deliberately encourage, to be practical about it. And think specifically, what does this guy need to hear right now? What does he need now? Try and, get, try and console, get into their world. What do they need? What do they need to hear? What do they need from me right now? So just write just a few names, a few practical things. Just do this for a minute. with your word but we know that there's so many uh, voices that we hear that would lead us away from you but we know that today you are reminding us afresh of this amazing news that our sake we're hidden with Christ we're hidden in Christ thank you for washing us with your word thank you for encouraging us this morning thank you for uh, freshly filling our hearts and minds with this amazing gospel we so love you, Lord. We, we, we so love you. We lift you high with our praise. Lord, you've done what we couldn't do. We, we say you're amazing, Lord Jesus.